Hey, good morning, Veritas. Uh, good morning to all of you online as well. I'm really glad that we're able to get together, celebrate Jesus, pray for new parents. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great day to be in God's house. Um, I, I got to tell you guys, I had a weird dream this last week. And I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I just rarely remember dreams. Like, Teresa has dreams, and she's always like, oh, I had the weirdest dream last night. And I just never remember my dreams. And so anytime I actually have a dream and remember it, it it's a little startling, because it's just, it's just something I, I don't do. I don't know why. I'm sure I dream. I just don't remember. Anyway, here was my dream. Um, I woke up, and I was out in the middle of this small lake, and I knew immediately that I was in this lake that we often take our kids to down in southern Iowa. Some dear friends have a place down there, and we have gone there often. And, uh, but I'm out in the middle of this lake. I kind of wake up. I'm out in the middle of this lake, and I know that it's that lake, but nothing looks familiar. None of the shoreline looks familiar. But you know how that is in dreams, but yet you know where you are, even though it doesn't look like it. Somehow I knew, and the only reason I knew that I wasn't drowning is because I had awakened and I had a life preserver on. So the reason all that is meaningful is because it used to be when my kids were little, I would get up really early when we were down there, and I would swim across this lake. That tells you how narrow this lake is, by the way, because I'm not a great swimmer. I'd swim across the lake and back, and, and all of a sudden, but never with a life jacket, and you can talk to me about that later. But anyway, woke up, life jacket, and so everything about this is kind of weird, but I some, somehow know where I'm at. But then I'm like, I don't know how to get back. And I just kept telling myself, no, just find a familiar place. You know this lake so well. Find a familiar spot and swim toward it. And so I'm just frantically looking at both shores. I don't even know what direction I'm facing. I have no idea where I'm at. And suddenly this current started taking me away. And I kept telling myself, just fix your eyes on something on the shore and swim toward it. And as I'm being swept away, it wasn't even I was frantic. It wasn't like a terrifying dream. I was literally, though, in the water just saying, it's not that I can't swim right now. I don't know where to go. I have no idea where to go. And then I woke up. As I was talking about that dream with Mark, um, he was like, I think that has to be the opening of your message. Because what I feel like is that's the way a lot of us are feeling right now. Even if we're not panicked, even if we're not just surging with fear. I really wasn't in the middle of that lake, like splashing around, frantic. No. But I literally had no idea which direction to go. I just felt lost, aimless. Here is my, my purpose today as I come to you to talk about prayer. I think some of us feel a little aimless and a little lost, even in the environment, cultural moment that we're living in. And we just need something to head toward. We just need somewhere to go, and we feel a little lost. My goal today, you guys, is just to give you a few points of reference to swim toward. Just a few landmarks to become familiar to you so you know what direction to go and you know how to pray. It's going to be so simple. This is going to be more like a workshop than like a heavy teaching. I just want to give us some direction to go, okay? Before we jump into the actual text of Scripture that I'm going to walk us through, um, and you've got them on the cards, by the way, those, those cards that are on, on the seats in front of you, those are the workshop. Those, that's what we're going to be covering. But even before we, we walk through some of those, I want to show you this image um, that I, I came across. This, this image is, is of the, 
VLA. VLA just stands for Very Large Array. You can't make this stuff up. A Very Large Array. It looks like something that George Lucas would come up with. That is a real thing. That exists in New Mexico. This huge, I think there's 27 of these massive, basically radio antennas trying to receive radio waves from outer space. And they've got 27 of them, and they're on this railway system so they can move the entire array. It's phenomenal. These massive antennas all pointing out into outer space. In New Mexico, been there for about 50 years. Why do I bring up that image? Well, because in this one book on the spiritual disciplines, on the chapter of prayer, Don Whitney brings up this illustration, talking about these, because, get this, this is true. These things, these massive antenna, all arrayed to form one huge actual kind of radio antenna receiving radio waves. In over a half century, if you collected the force of every radio wave that they have been gathering from deep into outer space, and they're looking for things like black holes and all sorts of things. The entire force of every radio wave collected and gathered together by these in over 50 years is the equivalent of a single snowflake hitting the ground. Is that just mind-blowing? If you added up the power of all the radio waves, that that tells you how faint those radio waves are as they hit this. If you gathered all of them over the 50 years, it would be the equivalent of the force of a snowflake hitting the ground. That's why they need to be so finely tuned to listen in. Here's his point. Listen to this. What great lengths people go to searching for a faint message from space when God has spoken so clearly through his son and through his word, straining through the eyes of telescopes and the electronic ears of the VLA, They search the infinite darkness of the universe for just a word. And all the while, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. You will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Speaking of the scriptures in in 2 Peter 1, right? We have a word from space. (laughs) The one who created all that and he speaks boldly and clearly. Let's open our word. That was... Last week, right, talking about we should be listening to the words of God. Let's, let's hold on to the truths of the God of the universe, the one that flung all those stars into space. Let's listen to him. But then he goes further. Listen to this. But God not only has spoken clearly and powerfully to us through Christ in the scriptures, he also has a very large ear. Continuously, he is open to us. He will hear every prayer of his children, even when our prayers are weaker than a snowflake. That's why, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is second only to the intake of God's word and importance. So last week, we talked about the importance of the intake of God's word, and and Mark challenged us, the five by five by five, like just find a reading plan and take in the the word of God. And today, I want to talk about the second discipline that follows right on its heels, and that is how do we speak words back to the Lord? How, How can we position ourselves such that he can hear us as we pray? And here's what I'm saying. Guys, you don't have to be a great prayer to get God's attention. His ear is trained and fixed on hearing from you. Your prayers can be as weak as a snowflake hitting the ground. And I'm telling you, he is poised to listen. The effectiveness of your prayer life is not in the power of your prayers. It's fixed upon the fact that Jesus is listening in to every syllable, every word that comes out of your mouth. He is eager to hear from us. So even if you feel a little aimless, 
You're not exactly sure, how do I pray? And sometimes even maybe you're like me that I've been a believer now for a long time and I still sometimes find myself without the words to say. I don't know where to go in my prayer life. And what I'm saying is I want us to kind of recapture a a lifestyle, a habit of prayer. So the prayers on the the guide there, the the passages of Scripture and the the creed there, just so you know, we're going to look at them real quick, but they are not sequential. I I, I want, here's what I want to do. I want, I want to motivate you to, to take on a three for three kind of habit now for the next few weeks. Three for three. Three minutes in these three prayers. Three minutes, that's all. If you can just get yourself three for three. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go through these sequentially. One, two, three. In fact, you don't have to use all three. You can just spend time in one or even part of one or whatever. But I'm just saying, if we could begin to unite ourselves around a habit of prayer in this kind of three for three thing, but just know these tools are not sequential. There's, no, there's nothing in the ordering of them, nor, you guys, are they to be just parroted back. Just read through these prayers in rote, and there you got your fix. No, Jesus warns us about that. We can't imagine that he's going to hear us just because we have the right formula of prayer. No, no, no. Don't just parrot these things back. Don't just read them through and think that, that we're done kind of mindlessly. And certainly don't limit yourself to these words. There's a lot of ways that you can pray. These are just to help us get going, all right? So let's take a look first at Psalm 23. And what I want to do, you've got it on your card in front of you. It is also going to be on the, on the screens. Here's what I want to do for Psalm 23. Let's read this out loud together. All right? So you're going to join with me as we read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm. So that's our second time with that psalm. We've sung that before because Lauren did such a beautiful job putting this to music and to be able to sing that. But there's a reason that often God's people through the ages have gone back to this psalm as an anchor, as kind of a a north star to to drive a prayer life. And uh, uh, like Lauren even mentioned about a year ago at this time, in fact, we spent a whole message just on Psalm 23. You can go back if you want to dig into it more line for line. Today, I just want us to muse on why we go to Psalm 23 to guide us in our prayer. And, and the first part is just that idea of the Lord as our shepherd. Guys, when we kneel to pray, when we bow our heads to pray, we don't just immediately start giving the grocery list of everything we need or want or need to draw his attention to. The first thing we do is fix our eyes on who we're talking to. And this psalm does maybe the most beautiful job of all of just reminding me he is my shepherd. In fact, in the CSB that we taught it from last, last year, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. I have what I need. I might feel empty. I might feel lost. I might feel aimless but I have everything I need because the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, 
I shall not want. I have everything I need. And I love that phrase, he restores my soul. Whether I'm in a place of, of kind of serenity by calm waters and beautiful green lush fields, or if I'm in the midst of a dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, he lets me hit pause every now and then and be like, just catch my breath. He restores my life. You know how when things are really tense and you're really worried about things and, and, and so you might even kind of white-knuckled and you find yourself like not even breathing at times. This, this psalm has this idea that no matter what else is going on in your life, when we go to prayer and when we fix our gaze on Jesus Christ, it's almost like he brings breath back to us. We find our shoulders relaxing. We find ourselves breathing again because he renews our life. Even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, I don't even have to fear evil. Why? Because you are with me. In fact, my shepherd has gone at that point from out in front leading me so I can follow him to all of a sudden in the psalm, he's right there beside me holding my hand, guiding me through and so I can take a breath. He restores my life. He brings calm and peace to us. And that beautiful second part, that second metaphor in Psalm 23 where he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, it's a reminder, guys, that, that it's not that he necessarily takes away the circumstances that are frightening us. There's the enemy right there bearing down on us, and I can see the whites of their eyes, right? And I, I can see that danger coming. But all of a sudden, there's this banqueting table popping up right in front of me, kind of miraculously. And I'm like, wait, right now? Yeah, Herod, throw that sword down. That's kind of heavy. You're not going to be able to eat very well, you know? Is that, is that breastplate kind of, you know, cumbersome to sit down with? Why don't you take that defensive stuff off? Why don't you just sit and enjoy a meal with me right now? But the enemy, yeah, 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 Herod, let's just, I just want to anoint your head with oil. I just want to bathe you in my goodness. In fact, that's what he says. His goodness and his mercy. That word mercy, we talked about this just a few weeks ago during Advent. That word love, hesed. Remember that Hebrew word hesed? We even had the Hebrew word on the board. That's that word right here. His faithful love. His never going to leave you faithful love. His goodness and his tenacious, I'm never going to leave you faithful love. His mercy are going to chase me down. Remember we talked about that word has said is often in the, in the Old Testament used and it's often used in relationship to sunrise, the, the break of day, that, that there's always going to be hope. There's always going to be new mercies and new faithfulness coming to me day after day after day and so I can rest in that. You're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. There you are, even in the presence of my enemies, not taking away the circumstance, but coming alongside me. He's going to chase me down. He's going to pursue me with goodness and mercy all the days of my life. So you might wander at times, you might feel lost, you might even be running of your own accord, and you can't outrun God's faithfulness, his love, his mercy. He is going to chase you down. Our hope, guys, is not secure because of our faithfulness. Our hope is secure because of the faithfulness of the one who is our shepherd. And he is not going to leave us. He's going to come after us. So we pray through Psalm 23, and I'm telling you, even over these last weeks as I've been thinking about how to, to talk about prayer uh, with you guys and praying through this, it seems like every day a different phrase of Psalm 23 seems to just kind of come alive and guide me in how to pray to him. Okay, let's look at that next prayer, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is significant because this is actually one where 
Uh, Jesus had this habit of praying, and his disciples often saw him praying, heard him praying, and sometimes wander away so he could be alone and pray. And so finally they came to him, and they said, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? We see how central prayer is in your life. Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And in Luke uh, 11, that's when he said, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. Here's how to pray, right? Here's how to pray. So this is Jesus coming alongside us to pray. And when he starts, once again, look at that, our Father in heaven. He once again teaches us that we have to not just immediately go into our grocery list, not immediately go into what we need, what we want. We fix our gaze on the one that we are talking with, right? Our Father in heaven. And let me just say this. I feel like even this week, if you just pulled over and paused and and just prayed about that phrase, our Father in heaven, it would miraculously change your heart, your soul. Because when you begin to pray, especially when you begin to pray in this way, our Father in heaven, you are saying in that moment that you refuse to believe that you're alone. You refuse to believe that you are alone. You feel lost. You feel aimless. You might feel very lonely. You might feel isolated. You might feel afraid. And when you cry out, you lift your gaze and say, my Father in heaven, You are refusing to believe that you're alone. And secondly, you're also refusing to believe that the only thing that is real is the stuff that's right in front of you. You're you're, you're refusing to believe that all I can stare at is what's in front of me, the circumstances of my life, the situation that I'm in. You're saying, no, there's something beyond this. In fact, I live in a world that is enchanted. It's not just a material world. It's not just what's in front of me. I live in an enchanted world where God, my Father, is actually listening to me right now. Maybe I can't see that unseen world, that enchanted world, but it is real. And when we pray, our Father in heaven, we're, recognizing, we're busting through that barrier and saying, God, you are involved here. I know what I can see right in front of me, but you are here. So guys, I've been, um, you know, I started a, a new Bible reading plan. I got a new Bible and so I, I just finished with Genesis. And once again, this idea just came through loud and clear. So you've got this guy like Jacob, you know, this character Jacob through Genesis. And a couple of different times, like one time he's out running, he's by himself in the wilderness, he lays himself down to sleep at night, and he gets this vision of the staircase. Remember, and there's angels ascending and descending on this staircase. And he says, oh, this is none other than the house of God, Bethel, right? The house of God, right? God kind of awakening to, you might feel alone right now, Jacob, but I am with you. There's a whole other unseen world. I'm just going to give you a glimpse. I'm going to pull the curtain back and let you see that I'm involved. Later on, he has another encounter with some angels, and he says, oh, man, I'm going to call this place Mahanaim. Mahanaim, meaning two camps. I can see the camp of my enemy brother Esau and my camps here. Oh, there's a whole other camp. There's angels surrounding me, and there's a God that's listening to me, Mahanaim. Later, we have the character of Joseph, right? And he's thrown into prison. He's thrown into slavery. He's all sorts of circumstances swirling around in his life. And at the end of the book, right, the the brothers come to Joseph. Remember the story? And they come to him and he's like, hey, guys, yeah, you meant it for evil. You set me on this path of suffering, but God meant it for good. There was another one overseeing. There's an unseen world, an enchanted world. And you might have had, I saw the circumstances right here on this planet Earth, but God was overseeing it all. God meant it for good for the saving of many lives. We live in an enchanted world. And when we pray, our Father in heaven, we are crying out, God, you are here, you are with me, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a submission, a posture of submission, God resists the proud, James 4 tells us. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so it puts us in this posture of humility. 
Give us this day our daily bread. We're crying out. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. All I know is I need your help today. I need your provision today. I need your wisdom today. And Lord, when I awaken and get on my knees tomorrow, you're going to be there as well. So just this day, I don't have to know everything. Just this day, please come and meet me. Forgiveness, right? Forgiveness. And it, and it cries out both ways. I, I'm in such need of forgiveness. And because I can tap into such lavish forgiveness, I can offer forgiveness as well. And so it brings us to that point of just pure forgiveness, and then deliver us. We're so weak. We're so vulnerable. I'm so easily overpowered. I'm so easily confused. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. To you be the glory. To you be the glory in my life. The Lord's Prayer. And the last one that I want us to just look at is maybe the unexpected one, the Apostles' Creed. Not a passage out of the Bible, the Apostles' Creed. And I don't know if some of you were raised in churches like mine where we repeated back the Apostles' Creed and maybe you never even really thought about the Apostles' Creed because it was just kind of parroted words back um, kind of by memory. Or maybe you weren't raised in a church that had the Apostles' Creed and you're like, what, what is this? This isn't in the Bible. Whatever it is, here's the reason that I want this to also give us kind of tracks to run on with, with prayer. Because guys, early believers, this this remnants of this creed go back even as early as the second century and just kept built on and for sure within a few hundred years it was kind of formalized as we have it right now and christians for generation after generation for generation have read through the apostles creed because here's what they're saying when they do no matter what else happens no matter what the circumstance of my life often early christians were persecuted if there wasn't something like persecution they were going through famine or plague dire circumstances all around, no matter what else happens, no matter what else weird teachings start coming through, the church has always had winds of false teaching coming through, no matter what else people are beginning to believe, no matter what other whack stuff is going on in the teaching world, no matter what else circumstances, no matter what else is being taught that can be confusing, no matter what else, I believe and I hold these things dearly. These are like an anchor for my soul. I don't know everything, and I might be confused, and I might be afraid, but this I believe, and it's not just I that believe it. We believe this. This is what is uniting us as God's people. We believe, and it's very Trinitarian. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the Holy Spirit, right? We are a Trinitarian people, and it binds us together. I don't know what else, but I believe this. And we believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Guys, when we pray this, we are reminding ourselves that we are created, that there's a creator, and that I am a fragile, just created one. A guy I like to read quite often talks about one of his daily practices as a believer is to wake up and before he drinks his coffee, before he opens his Bible, he just steps outside, takes a deep breath, looks around and reminds himself, I am just a created thing, just like that tree, just like that bird, right? From dust I was brought up and to dust I will return, I am just part of this created order. Let me remember that. But even as I remember that I'm just created by the Lord God Almighty, I call him my Father. We believe in God the Father Almighty. 
I can call that one that cast the stars into the space. My father, I'm adopted into his family. There's something so centering, so glorious about just that first phrase. We believe in God the Father, the Almighty One, the maker of heaven and earth, and yet he is our Father. And we believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He was dead, buried. In fact, he descended to the dead and on the third day rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. Let me just ask you on the Jesus portion, do you believe that? Like read through that stuff that we just looked at and read. Do you believe that about Jesus? Give me some nods at least. Do you believe that that is true about Jesus Christ? Let me just tell you something. Guys, if you believe what I just read to you, if you could say that out loud, that binds you together in strong unity with people all around this world, and we form a minority, okay? We form a minority of people that would say, I believe that God has a son that came down to this earth, that took on flesh to suffer, to take on the form of a servant, to suffer, to die in my place, to rise again and will come again as Lord of heaven and earth and of all people to judge the living and the dead. If you believe that, what I'm saying is that unites us like nothing else can. There's a whole lot of things trying to pull God's church apart. If you believe this, you are united together with brothers and sisters around the globe, believing, fiercely believing, boldly, courageously believing that Jesus Christ is God's Son and our Savior. So when you pray that in the morning every day, you're, you're preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Re-preach the gospel. This we believe. This is how I am saved. This is identifies me. As, as a believer in Jesus Christ. And then we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting, the Father, the Son, and now the Spirit. Because we remember, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes in in Acts 2 and begins the church, uniting people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so all those that believe what we've just said about Jesus Christ form the church all people universally that believe that form together the church. We are one church. So when it says one holy Catholic church, it's not capital C as in Roman Catholic church. The, Catholic, the word Catholic just means universal. We just believe that we're part of the church that spans time and spans boundaries and borders. We believe this together and it unites us. The communion of saints, that the ground is level at the cross, that I'm a saint not just guys that have halos on their head and crowns on their No, no, no. All of us that believe that form together a fellowship of saints, of holy ones, because we've been forgiven of our sins and we say it all over again. I believe, I believe that the Holy Spirit awakens me to this truth that I can be forgiven of all my sins. That even the sting of mortal death holds no power over me. Why? Because there's a resurrection of my body. I will be raised again just like Jesus was raised from the dead. He promises me even my mortal death kind of fades away because I will be resurrected and live with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. You and me get to be with him forever and ever.
This we believe. So guys, uh, again, I don't have any deep truths. In fact, um, you know, I was just talking to a friend this, this week about sometimes even after we've known Christ for a while, we start losing that first love, right? And you know, you know what Jesus says to the church in Revelation, Revelation 2, that begins to lose their first love? He says, you know what? I want you to repent and go back and do the things you did at first. If you want to recapture first love, go back and rekindle the stuff that you did when you first knew me. Recapture first love. Some of you have looked at these kind of passages, prayers, creeds for many years. And you know what? Maybe it's time to reawaken our hearts to some first truths. To pray as maybe we've never prayed before. And over these last couple of weeks, as I've just knelt and just read through and let my mind wander fueled by these words, I'm telling you, it has transformed my life of prayer. And that is what I long for you. So here's what I want to do. I want to have the Apostles' Creed uh, remain up here. Will you stand with me? And I want us, in kind of a prayerful way, to say right now, there's a lot of things in this world, in my culture, that are dividing me causing me to want to separate away from other people, even other believers, divide. And in this moment, here's what we want to do. Lord, will you unite us? Because these sacred truths, we believe. And let it even, especially that section on Jesus Christ, let it preach the gospel to your own soul again. I believe this. I don't know what else to believe. I feel kind of lost in so many ways. I don't even know what direction to go. But there's a North Star. This we believe. And let it bring security and strength to us as we do. Let's read this out loud together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. God, teach us to pray. Lord, that metaphor of that, of that lake that you brought to me, Lord, I, I feel that even in this present moment, Lord. There are so many things that are confusing to me. I feel like I've kind of lost my ability to chart my course, to how, how to think about so many different things. And then I fall on my knees. I open your beautiful words. And I find an anchor for my soul. I find direction for my path. And I love, Lord, that you are not concerned about how beautifully I can pray. If I have the right words to bring to you, Lord, you, you long to listen. You're eager to hear. And so as weak as we are, as kind of aimless as we can be, there you are beckoning us. 
to come to you. And so we do that now. Teach us to pray. Father, teach us to pray. In Christ's name we pray.